like we can go home. But we're not. Um, yesterday was incredible with the with the uh, with the fathers. We had a great time with Jim. We learned a lot. We are so filled. Um, there's just so much information that I think it's going to take a few months for us to to really dive into it and apply it to our lives and and, and uh, for it to help us grow as fathers. Um, but um, I do. I'm I'm trying to. Um, I wouldn't say manipulate, but trying to have uh, Jim and Helen come back probably somewhere at the end of the year to do a part two for the men, right? Because I do feel like it was amazing, right? And I'm not satisfied. You know when you have good dessert and you're not satisfied and you, you borderline, borderline debauch on it? Yeah, well, I'm not satisfied. I want more. And if it was up to me, guys, to be quite honest with you, it's just because I'm a disciple that I don't um, keep Jim and Helen here um, against their will, right? Um, because, um, like I said, I have not had enough. And so we are super grateful for you being here. We, we feel encouraged. We feel helped. Um, and it's not the type of help that I feel goes away after a few weeks. I think it's going to last quite a while. So thank you so much for being here with us. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is, um, as Michael alluded to it already, we're closing out our series in Genesis, right? Genesis is one of those books where you just feel like there's so much in there that you can preach Genesis the entire year, um, but I will not, right? Um, and so what we we have we're come we're coming to our the end of our nine week series, and I feel like Nathan has done a fantastic job in in uh, communicating the Word of God to us. Um, um, I, I I really feel like uh, he is. He has grown so much, and I feel like um, I'm being taught by him. And so I really appreciate all that he's done um, in helping me with this series. But um, we're closing it out today, um, and we're going to look at Genesis 50 this morning. All right. And Genesis chapter 50, you know, God works all things for the good of those who love him. Do you believe that? That God is going to work in your life. If you love him, um, I do believe that he will work in our life if we don't love him. But take that as you may, um, and how that may look. But he works for the good of those who love him. You know, the faith of Joseph challenges us to trust God, even when it seems that God has forgotten us. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? You know, sometimes life can take us there, right? Now, we know it is not true, but life can take us to this place where we do sometimes probably feel that God has forgotten us. How about losing a loved one? You know, when someone close to us dies, we may feel alone, abandoned, and wonder why God let this happen. You know, facing financial difficulties, for instance, as well, when, when we struggle to make ends meet, or lose our jobs, we may feel like God has forgotten us and doesn't care about our struggles. Battling an illness, right? When we're when we or someone we love is dealing with a serious illness or or chronic condition, we may feel like God has abandoned us and isn't listening to our prayers. Struggling with an addiction, right? 
um, addiction can be challenging and an isolating experience. Those who are battling addiction may feel like God has abandoned them and doesn't care about their struggles. Dealing with injustice, when people face discrimination, prejudice, systematic oppression, they may feel like God is not on their side and has abandoned them to suffer. You know, how about our children? When we hope the best for our children and we pray until our knees are calloused for our children and we don't see the change that we expect in the time frame that we expect that change, we may feel and wonder if God is still there for us. But regardless of all of that, we must trust our God. Amen. There are times when we need to lean on God more and more. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just so grateful for all that you do in our lives. Father, we are grateful for your love, your grace, your mercy. Father, I pray that we live lives where we remember you, God. God, and that we don't forget how you, you help us, how you change our lives, the things that you do in our lives, Father. Um, God, help us to remember you through the scriptures. God, I pray that this message is not my own, but I pray that this is your message to us this morning. God, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You know, the last section of the book of Genesis could almost be considered its own book in itself. You know, the story has moved us, as we've looked through the last few weeks, the story has, has moved from Abraham to Isaac, right? We learned quite a bit there, and then to Isaac's son, Jacob. And now it looks at Jacob's son, Joseph, as we enter into, as we are looking at Genesis 50. And it looks at his relationships with his brothers, too. You know, this message is going to provide some high-level moments, right, um, in his life, and then zero in in the, in the, uh, the ending, in his declaration, this declaration that he gives at the end of Genesis 50. But if we take a look at some background here, we'll see that due to their, je- their jealousy of Joseph, Joseph is sold by his brothers. Ain't that something? Your own brothers. Trying to make a book. And from there, he ends up a servant in an Egyptian official's household where he's imprisoned, right, and accused falsely of sexual assault. While in prison, Joseph interprets the dreams of of two fellow prisoners, right? So he has these high moments, too, while he's in in prison. And he interprets these dreams, which, which leads to his being free to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And as a result of that interpretation, Joseph rises to a very high place, in power in Egypt. Now chapters 42 through 45 are the fulfillment of the dream Joseph had in the beginning of of the story in chapter 37. But in the midst of a famine, God provides for his people using Joseph. God always provides for his people in one way or the other, right? And and so in the midst of this famine where there's really nothing to to, uh, to, to, that shows them that they're going to be okay, 
God provides using Joseph, whom he indeed has placed in Egypt. See, we can read it and say, oh, why is he in Egypt? His brothers sold him. And... No, but God placed him in Egypt for a purpose. Sometimes we can look at our lives and we say, woe is me. Why is my life like this? Well, God put you there for a purpose. Despite what it may look like to you, God has put you there. And Joseph brings his family to Egypt to do what? Take care of them. We need to know that God is working on our behalf. God is working on our behalf even when it appears to us like he has forgotten us. He is still working on our behalf. See, we have this thing where we have to see and understand what he's doing. Like, like he needs to list it out for us. I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. And it has to be in a timely manner, right? But how faith building is it to know that regardless of whether you see that or not, he's working on your behalf. Like we don't have to see it. And so Joseph shows how we can get there, right? Jo the faith of Joseph changes us to, or I'm sorry, challenges us to trust God because he knew that what? God is sovereign and that God is gracious. You know, at the, at the end of the story in Genesis 49, Jacob dies. And as we begin Genesis 50, Joseph's brothers, they worry about their future, right? Rightfully so. Because of how they had treated Joseph when he was younger. They're like, wait, wait a second. So this whole time, Joseph probably didn't do anything to us because Papa was alive. Now that he's dead, oh, Nelly, something may go down now, right? So in Genesis 50, verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did him? That was a whole lot, a whole lot of wrongs. And so what if he holds this grudge and he, and he pays us back for all these things? Now, even though Joseph's brothers had lived on good terms with him in Egypt for 17 years, 17 years, now they're afraid. 17 years. Like, I don't know about you, but things that happened to me seven years ago... I don't remember. Like, even like insults or, or some serious hurts. I'm like, can't remember. Uh, nothing. What was I? 30 what? <laughs> hey, look. I'm up here. I can, I can do that. So yeah, 31. I don't remember anything back then, right? Bless your heart. Such a southern. Bless your heart. And you know, sometimes bless your heart doesn't mean bless your heart. But 
I know she loves me, so it's all good. So, so 17 years, and they were still worried that Joseph had not fully forgiven them, forgiven them for their betrayal, right? They probably felt like, oh my gosh, now that Papa's dead, Joseph's going to feel free to unleash some anger on them. Let's go to verse 16. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Boy, I tell you, this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. What a heart he has. But these guys, they don't, they can't stop being conniving. You know what I mean? Like, they just can't stop being, like, coming up with these reasons and things to say to get themselves out of trouble. You know, it's like our fear can lead us into some dark places. We will lie and we'll compromise righteousness out of what? Fear. But who do we fear, though? Who do we fear? Do we fear God or do we fear man? I feel like many of us live lives in fear of man. In fear of an individual or individuals, plural. Where it causes us to compromise our righteousness and bring us in a dark place. We make so many terrible decisions out of panic. Mm -hmm. Because we panic around men. Mere man. And not trust God. You know, Jacob never gave any such instruction. There's no place in the scripture where we see that instruction. Nor is there any reason to believe that Jacob even knew what happened with Joseph in the first place. There's nothing in the scriptures that say, oh, he knew what his, what his sons did to Joseph. But they're coming up with all this stuff like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, oh, he's going he's gonna to kill us. So let's, let's come up with this, let's fabricate this instruction from daddy. Amazing. And so they concoct this message. And they increase the gravity of it by saying, your father, your father Jacob left instructions. They don't say our father. They say your father Jacob, he left instructions. And here what the instructions are. Leave us alone. Don't hurt us. Or daddy going to come back from the grave. Then they call themselves the servants of the God of your father. And so now they also add this religious obligation to the message. Pretty smart, but deceitful. 
So in other words, it's like saying, you, Joseph, you owe us good treatment. If not only for the sake of your father, but for the sake of the God of your father. Treat us real good. Don't be naughty or something might happen to you. You know, but this is typical behavior when we panic, isn't it? We will say and do whatever possible to save our skin before man. We will say anything we need to say so that man doesn't turn against us. So that man doesn't do the things that we are assuming he may do. Sometimes we're running and nobody's chasing. Can you imagine even picturing that? You know, you're running and looking behind and there's nobody. But you're still running. You're tripping over stuff. You're rolling. You're getting injured, all scratched up. And nobody is chasing you. Nobody. Why are we running? Why are we behaving like this? We do this all the time in our relationships. Genesis 50, 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Is this not interesting? So the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery are now coming back to him and saying, we are your slaves. Interesting how life takes us turns, isn't it? Now you notice this whole time, Joseph is just chilling. God is working. Even through their deceit and their mess and their ridiculous behavior, God is still working. People are going to do some crazy things to us. And we'll be hurt and treated unfairly. So much so that we may think God is absent. But look at how Joseph handles this moment. And starting in verse 19. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm. You intended to harm me. Not I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about way back. You intended to harm me. But God. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. From all that time before where you sold me into slavery, you intended to do something quite evil. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is happening right now. The saving of many lives. What I've been able to do despite your evil. Or in answer to your evil. I've been a part of saving many. Wow. When you think of your life, 
do we consume ourselves with our own problems? Do we try to figure out, man, how can I, through this, help someone else? Have I even learned anything? Where I can now take that lesson and help somebody else. Help somebody else to grow. Help somebody else to come to know Jesus. Help somebody else have a better life. Yeah, we talked. We listed these things. These things in the beginning: financial difficulty, loss, right? Different things like that. When you experience those things, do you gain experience that you can help somebody else who has had financial issues, who has lost somebody? Like, what do you learn in your turmoil? Do we learn anything? Or are we so consumed with the pain that we forget that there's a world outside? How amazing is it how he handles this? He says, you know, all of the the good traits, you know, all the good traits that human beings have, kindness, integrity, courage, Loyalty, all these great traits that we have. In my opinion, forgiveness is one of the most impressive and beautiful traits. You can be courageous. That's awesome. You can be loyal. That's awesome. You can be. You can have great integrity. You can be kind. That's awesome. But the ability to forgive—it's just a beautiful thing because that's why we're all here. We're all here because of forgiveness, because of God's forgiveness. You know, I've been recently playing around with AI. I told some of you guys that, and I couldn't find a picture of Joseph and his brothers, and so I kind of created my own. Kind of did my own little AI. I'm gonna put like I'm gonna print that and put JD, JD. You know. Uh, my creation there. Are you known for forgiveness? Are you known for forgiving others? How long does it take you to forgive? Do you require do you require some you know apology to like next level apology before you forgive? Some of us, it takes us a while. We're like, okay, I didn't accept that apology. That was a uh, hunky dory kind of soft apology right there. You know, come back with something better, and then maybe I'll apologize. Oh, I, I, I appreciate you apologizing there, but let, let this marinate for about a month. Want to marinate a little bit? You know what I mean? How quickly do you forgive? But then, when we do something, right, we want forgiveness right away. Because if we don't get it right away, it turns into this other thing like, oh, that brother is so mean. Sisters, ugh, can't even forgive. Right? But it's a beautiful thing when we do it. When we do it right. You know, in the statement that, uh, that Joseph makes here, he provides a summary of the sovereignty of God. It's the sovereignty of God. That's just amazing here. 
See, God is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over all things. And this has been shown throughout the book of Genesis. We've, been, we've gone through so many great stories in Genesis. And it shows that God is in control. The sin in the garden would ultimately be overcome for our benefit. The flood was a show of his authority over creation. We talked about even the flood being a showing us grace, really. And his attention to the line of Abraham is it illustrates God continuing to keep his promise and end the curse under which we all suffer. You know, uh, many of you know this movie, right? The Wizard of Oz. Right? I'm talking about the old 1939 Wizard of Oz, right? Awesome movie. You know, Dorothy and her companions, they finally make it to Emerald City. And they finally make it there to see the great Wizard of Oz, right? And so they get there, and when they reach him, Dorothy's dog, pretty awesome, right? Not Dorothy, the little, little doggy, right, reveals he's just a man behind a curtain. He's not this huge, huge wizard that he came across to be. He's just a man behind a curtain using technology. This is one of those behind-the-curtain moments where the viewer gets to see how things really are. You know, Joseph, his declaration here in Genesis 50, verse 20, is a behind-the-curtain moment about the ups and downs of life. A quiet assurance that no matter how things may be or seem, God is in control. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Close your eyes sometimes. Some of us see too much. Right? You're out there and, and you're, you're talking to a brother or a sister and they go, oh, oh, they're just rude. They think that what I'm saying is unimportant. Meanwhile, they stayed up like all night because they don't feel good. Oh, they're just disrespectful. What I'm saying is not important to them. Come on, guys. Sometimes we just got to close our eyes and let God just do his thing. You know what I mean? Because sometimes when we open our eyes, we interpret things all sorts of ways, man. And it's because we're not interpreting it with the right heart. We're not, we're not using love to interpret. We have sometimes these ulterior motives in our interpretation. You know, God has authority over everything. And no matter what our intentions might be, God has the power to turn it around and use it for good. Joseph knew this, and he knew this well, given his own life experiences. Last point is that we got to know that God is gracious. He's sovereign, yes, but we have to know that he is a gracious God. We see Joseph demonstrate this grace to his brothers. In, in uh, verse 21, he says, so then, he continues, so then, don't be afraid. Yeah, you did all these things. and you know, the, 
Just don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. What a heart. I love Joseph. What a heart. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Some of us would be like, oh, you're going to get it, boy. He was nice about it. He was kind. Where does this kind of response come from? He knows that because God is sovereign over what happened, he shouldn't feel any animosity or bitterness toward his brothers. Because God is sovereign. Why feel animosity? Why be bitter? God is sovereign. He's going to take care of it. You know, sometimes I think we need to pray for each other more and pray for our brother and sister to have better hearts than to be bitter. Being bitter, it doesn't help anything. It just puts you in a bad place. This also came from the fact that God had put him in a position to help them for a reason. So what does he do? He helps them. Nobel Peace Prize winner um, and Auschwitz survivor Eli Wazel passed away on July 2nd, 2016 at the age of 87. And he's remembered for many things, one of which was to share his experience of living in a concentration camp in books such as Night, which you see on the screen there, one of my favorite books. Only about 100 pages or so. It's excellent. Very descriptive, however. And he also shares about the concentration camps and speeches that he gives, or he gave, so that the horrors of the Holocaust, Holocaust would never be forgotten. He says, if I survived, it must be for some reason. Wow. It's one of the things he told in the New York Times in an interview in 1981. He says, I must do something with my life. It is too serious to play games. To play games with anymore. Because in my place, someone else could have been saved. And so I speak for that person. On the other hand, I know I cannot speak for that person. You know, though it's unclear where he stood in his faith, he recognized that all that he had experienced could be redeemed for some good. So Joseph also saw that what his brother intended for evil God meant for good. And he used his position to care for Israel during the drought. He also would, would take care of his brothers and their families. Do you ever ask yourself, why? Why did God save me? Why did God, out of all the world, save me? Do you feel the burden of knowing someone else could have been chosen in your place? 
Someone else could have been saved in your place, but God chose you to save. Or are we playing games? It's the Holy Spirit, because yesterday in Jim's message to to the fathers, the title was Huntsville Dads. We ain't playing. How many of us are playing games? We're here as saved people to do more than we are currently doing. In order for us to let the world know of the God who saved us, we need to have greater faith, brothers and sisters. We have to have greater faith and not play games. God has put many of us in position to help our brother, but are we doing that? He has put us into a position to help our children in the church, our neighbor, our community, but are we doing that? Do you know your neighbor? Do you know the person next door? Do you know the person in front of you? We had a neighboring series, I believe it was last year, I think. Right? About neighboring. That was a while back. Have you done? Do you know your neighbor? You know, Tom and I went to, uh, Tom um, allowed me to accompany him to House of Harvest yesterday morning, where we served people. And it was an amazing experience to me. It's one thing when I hear it from Tom. But when I go there, and right away they put me to work, man. I'm like, oh, oh okay, thanks. They're like, bag this, and, and we're bagging oranges. We're bagging grapefruits. We're bagging sweet potatoes. We're bagging all these things. And it's like, I'm doing all this, but I don't know what is to come. And I'm doing these things, and I'm starting, I'm like, whoo. That's a lot of work. And I'm doing, and I'm getting ready, and then I see them stacking these tables, and and I'm like, wow, that's pretty awesome. People are just going to come in. They're going to be able to get something, you know, and that's going to be good. When they started, after prayer, of course, people start coming in with shopping carts. And when I saw the first person with a shopping cart, I was like, wait a second. This is amazing. And they're filling up their shopping carts with fruits, vegetables, gross other groceries, right? Pastries, chicken, frozen goods, meats. And it's like they're leaving there like they went to Costco. And in my mind, I'm wondering, how often do they come? But the line just wouldn't stop. One after the other. And I'm thinking, man, I'm getting tired. When is this going to end? But it was such a glorious moment to see that it didn't stop for like an hour and a half. My job was also to, like when they ran out of, of the item, was to restock. And I would restock, and I'm like, oh, that was hard. And I look around, and she tapped me on the shoulder. She's like, more. And I'm like, oh. And I restock again. And I'm like, they just keep coming and coming and coming. And it just blew my mind. They're having conversations with these people. But it blew my mind to see how many people are in need. 
so many people who are in need. But what are we doing to help them? Are you, what is your relationship with God about? Is your relationship with God a service to you? Where it's only about you? Are we here to serve others as well? Are you in a relationship or a situation in your life that when viewed out of your own paradigm, you see evil and no good? Well, know that God may see it as an opportunity for you to do good. Sometimes we just see evil. Sometimes we just see hurt. Well, what are you doing? It may be an opportunity for you to do something about it. Too often we just leave things alone. I was reading a book called Letters to American Churches. One of the things that was talking about is, you know, even with Eli Weisel here, um, they were talking about during that time, churches in churches in Germany, they weren't doing anything. People coming in, they worship, and that's that. But they had a major opportunity to make a difference by speaking up. They could have spoke up because guess what? Guess where Hitler probably got money? From the churches. And they could have spoke up and caused a major difference in what happened there. What are we doing in our communities as a church? What difference are we making? I am grateful to how God is moving this church. Amen. The church is growing. But do our community, do our communities know us? Joseph, you know, Joseph's brothers were afraid that he would take vengeance on them for the injustices that he had suffered as a result of their treachery. But aside from the doctrine of, you know, aside from the doctrine of providence, there is another important lesson in what Joseph says to his brothers, that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. It's not for us to avenge. God will do that. We have other things we need to be doing. I think we we crowd ourselves with too much that we can't do what is really importance I don't know about you but vengeance wears me out to be honest I can't be bothered with that I don't have time for that ain't nobody got no time for that I used to want vengeance on others but praise Jesus for the cross as Croatian uh, theologian Miroslav Vov wrote in the introduction of his book, Exclusion and Embrace, he says the patience of nonviolence requires a belief 
in divine vengeance. Got to believe in divine vengeance. Joseph completely trusted in God and was able to let go of his desire to punish anyone for what had happened to him. Derek R. Brown says, Through it all, Joseph remained faithful to God and God never abandoned him. Joseph's story teaches teaches us a profound lesson. No matter our circumstances or others' actions, God will accomplish his purpose. God is going to accomplish his purpose. And so to close out, I want to give us, here are some ideas to consider this week. God is sovereign. (laughs) Right? God is sovereign. The story of Joseph, it reminds us that God is sovereign over everything. Despite the hardships and the trials that Joseph faced, God was ultimately in control and working out his plan for Joseph's life. And I think similarly, in our lives, we can trust in God's sovereignty. Knowing that he is in control even when things seem chaotic and confusing, which is probably quite often. The other thing is that there's grace and forgiveness. Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers is a powerful example of God's grace. Joseph recognized that God had used his brothers, his brothers' evil intentions to bring about greater good. And so similarly, in our lives, we can extend grace and forgiveness to others. Recognizing that God can use even the most difficult situations for our good and his glory. Three, let's let go of bitterness. Let's let it go. Right? Let it go. Is that frozen? Let it go, let it go. I'm not going to sing it. I sing terrible. But let it go. Joseph could have Joseph could have held held on to bitterness and resentment towards his brothers and, and their mistreatment of him, right? But instead, he chose to let go of his anger and extend forgiveness. In the same way, we can let go of bitterness and choose to forgive those who have wronged us. Trusting in God's grace and sovereignty to bring about healing. Because there's a result, right? To bring about healing and reconciliation. I believe that we have a God of reconciliation, so we need to be a church of reconciliation. Other thing is honoring family. Even though Joseph's relationship with his brothers has been strained in the past, he chose to honor his family by caring for them and providing for their needs. And I think in a similar way, we can honor our families and loved ones by showing them love and respect, even when relationships are difficult and strained. And lastly, I think a lot needs to be said about gratitude and praise. Right, guys, we need to be grateful. We need to praise God for what he's done and what he will do. In verses 20 to 21, Joseph acknowledges God's hand in his life. And he offers praise and gratitude. 
Similarly, we can cultivate a spirit of gratitude and praise. We can recognize God's sovereignty and grace in our own lives and giving thanks for all that he's done for every single one of us. There's not one of us in here that can say that you have nothing to thank God for. And so wouldn't it be awesome, wouldn't it be awesome if we could follow these ideas and watch how God blesses his church? I want to close with this poem. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides and rides upon the storm. Deep in his dark and hidden minds, with never failing skill, he fashions all his bright designs and works his sovereign will. These lyrics are an important reminder of how God's plans are often mysterious to us. Yet even in this uncertainty, we can be comforted in knowing that he's in control. And to God be the glory. Amen. Can we give J.D. another hand? Amazing way to finish off the series.